guys. Good morning. For the, uh, for the past 40 weeks, um, we've been on a journey together here. For the past 40 weeks, we've been uh, tracing the life of this early follower of Jesus named Paul. Paul wrote half of the New Testament, 13 of the 27 books or documents that make it up. And, and we've been following Paul and, and, and who he is and what he discovered about Jesus and, 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 and all of this that goes with him and today we wrap it up. Uh, today is is the end, and, and what I thought maybe we could do today is just kind of close out our journey like this. Whatever happened to the guy? Whatever happened to Paul? Now, if uh, you look at this New Testament book called Acts, which gives this amazing like history and story of life in the early church, you see the final trajectory of Paul's life embedded within it. Follow me on this, because this is kind of what happens. All year long, we've been watching how Paul has been going all over the Roman Empire, and he's been planting churches and edifying churches and witnessing to people and, and telling them the good news about Jesus and, 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 and drawing together communities around them and, and simultaneously trying to, to keep these ties with this mothership church in Jerusalem and, and bring charity and need to them. Paul comes to Jerusalem. But see, Paul's made a lot of enemies in his journey by this point, and Paul gets spotted, and they lynch him. They arrest him, and it doesn't look like any of this is going to go well. And so in this moment, right when it looks like he is literally about to be beaten to death, he plays a trump card. He throws his wild card on the table and says, you know what, you're trying to try me here, but I'm a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar, kind of like any of us could appeal at some level to the Supreme Court. I appeal to Caesar. I want him to hear my case. Paul's trying to keep his neck out of hot water and possibly death. Now, the Romans there, they're, they're, they're surprised because most of these Roman soldiers aren't even citizens themselves. The centurion who's in charge of them is like, I had to pay big money to become a Roman citizen. To which Paul answers, but I've been one for life. Who do we have on our hands here? And the fear starts to set in that they might not have just been mistreating some forgotten peasant. But there might be accountability in the way that they treat him. To Caesar, you will go. And the rest of the letter or the book of Acts, it really, guys, it describes like this, this like just harrowing journey of Paul surviving political intrigue, assassination attempts, shipwrecks, miraculous deliverance, witnessing to new people along the way. I mean, it's incredible. Read, read the back half of the book of Acts someday. And, and it culminates at the very last chapter of Acts with this. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him as he awaits for his trial, his case, before Caesar to come. Now the story goes on to describe that while he's living in this, this house, under house arrest in Rome, 
He calls for the Jewish leaders in Rome to come and meet with him because Paul ain't going to miss this opportunity to connect with his kindred and witness to them either. And just like happened in every city, it tells the story about how some believed, others were offended, and the letter or book of Acts ends like this. Final two sentences. For two whole years... Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him, staying there while he waited for his trial. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. I mean, at one hand, it's kind of a cool ending. But, 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 but I mean, like, really? I mean, is that not the most unsatisfying ending to Paul's journey for you? It's like, okay, then what? Then what? Like, like what, what happened after the two years? I mean, did he get his case? Did they just forget him? Did he get bored and, and they said, just go? Did, did he go before Caesar? What, what happened with Caesar? What, what happened in, in, in the Roman government? What happened and how it echoed out throughout the empire? Did they find him guilty? Did they condemn him? Did they kill him? Did he retire in Arizona? I mean, whatever. If you were to write a biography of someone, would you end it this way? It is just so deeply unsatisfying. Now, it is fascinating that there is, um, in, in, in early Christian, a church historian about 300 AD, so we're talking early, His name is Eusebius, and he does actually write about what happened in the life of the apostles and in the early church after the book of Acts ends. Look at what Eusebius says. So it happened that this man Nero, the emperor, who Paul undoubtedly had to stand before, to whom he made appeal, it happened that this man Nero, the first to be announced publicly as a fighter against God. Do you know what that means before we go on? to be announced publicly as a, as a fighter against God. See, the, the early empires all had this idea of divinity that surrounded him, but Nero was the first to like kind of actually really take it seriously. Like when people said you're divine, he believed it and began to believe it about himself and began to set himself up as a figure of divinity in a way that got a little too, shall we say, delusional for the common good. And this man Nero was led to slaughter the apostles. Because when your God and other gods threaten your throne, you can't have any of that. It is related that in his reign, Paul was beheaded in Rome. And that Peter was also crucified there. And he goes to talk about the other apostles' fate as well. Why isn't that an axe? I mean, isn't that the kind of stuff that, I mean, it's not a happy ending, I'll give you that. But isn't that the kind of stuff that you want to know? If you were writing a biography, wouldn't this be the fitting ending? But I think there's something here uh, that's revealing. And it's this. It's not about Paul. 
over half of the book of Acts might recount his journeys. But it's not about Paul. We've just spent 40 weeks looking at Paul. But guys, these 40 weeks are not about Paul. Because for the Bible and for us, Paul is never the end. He is a means to an end. It's not about Paul. What the book of Acts in our 40-week journey and all of this is about is not about Paul, but about what Paul shows us. And what Paul shows us, what Acts shows us, what these 40 weeks were meant to show us is Jesus. It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. It's not about Paul. It's about his gospel. And guys, this is his gospel. It is an event. The gospel is an event. It is the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is an event. It is his coming and his ministry and his ushering in of this thing that that, that Acts calls the kingdom of God. It's an event. It's about the long-awaited Messiah finally arriving and taking his rightful place on the throne next to God's right hand. It is about an event. It is about salvation and forgiveness and life in transformation to all who call upon the name of the Lord. None of this stuff, be it Acts or our 40-week journey, is about Paul. It's about what he shows us. The event of Jesus by which history is changed. And thank God, all who call upon his name are changed as well. Never to be the same again. About a generation after the apostles... We're talking 115 A.D. There's this early Christian follower, this this, this bishop, this leader of a church. His name is Polycarp, which really just has not caught on in today's society. You've got to hear the story about this guy. 86 years old. And he's dragged before the Roman magistrate. Because he won't pinch a little incense and declare Caesar is Lord. There's early church writings. In fact, one of our groups here is going to be reading his story in just a few days. About how they would even beg and plead with him. The Romans even, just do it. We don't care what you believe, just do it. It, What's the big deal? And it is an 86-year-old man, went to his death, burned alive. Dipped in pitch at the stake. Because for him, Jesus is Lord, was everything. Now look at what Polycarp had to say. He writes this. When Paul was absent, he wrote you letters. Listen, guys, if you study them carefully, 
you will be able to be built up into the faith that has given you. God has given you something, and it is precious. And he says, if you study these letters, you will be built up into this faith that God has given you. If hope follows, and if love for God and Christ and for neighbor lead the way. Because for Polycarp, it's not just about knowing Paul's letters. Some of those brilliant men in the world who know Paul's letters backwards and forwards don't have faith. Because what Polycarp knew is what Paul knew. It's not just about knowing the stuff. It's about living it, too. And he went to the stake because he discovered something in the writings of Paul that led him to Jesus. And for him, that meant everything. So I've been thinking about this and thinking about our 40 weeks together, the things that we've been looking at, and, and, and just as we wrap up this journey, just some reflections I'd like to share. Reflections on things I think were central to Paul, things that we can learn from him, things that if we study him carefully, we'll build up our faith as well. Here's one. God uses messed up people. You want to see a messed up life, you look at Paul. I love what he writes on this one occasion. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul saying this, of whom I am the worst. That takes some audacity. Uh, you know, are you, I mean, I, I'm a sinner. How about you? All right, like five of you. Great, fantastic. We are in the company of righteous folk. Right, we're, we're sinners. We know it. Would you have the audacity to say, I am the worst? Oh, man, that guy's worse than I am. Right? And that was a general point. Okay, Dell. I mean, I love you, man. I love you. you but you, you follow me, right? I, I don't think of myself as the worst of sinners. I really don't. I mean, I know it's the right answer, but I don't. Paul did. And because Paul knew it, he knew something more powerful as well that God can use messed up people. That God does use messed up people. Who are you? <laughs> and what kind of mess have you wreaked in your life? What wake of terror and destruction and disappointment? God will use you. That's who God is. I love what Paul writes. It is God who chose the weak things of this world, the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not. If the shoe fits on that, guess what? God's going to use someone like you. And what does that say about a God like him? When I look at Paul's life, I think of this. Jesus is worth dying for. There were so many times when, when Paul could have saved his own skin, when he could have compromised, when he could have just kind of laid low, when he could have sought a good life for himself. 
instead of this radical life that God was calling him to. But he learned something. Jesus is worth dying for. He, he discovered that eternal life is far better than the good life now. He discovered that following Jesus is worth it, no matter the cost. He discovered that future glory far surpasses present privileges. He discovered that honoring God is so much better than honoring yourself. I think he discovered what Jesus taught, that whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his life for Jesus' sake in the gospel will actually find it. And Paul's entire life is a testimony. It's a testimony to that. You know, something else I learned from Paul, though, as well, that Jesus is not just worth dying for, he's also worth living for. Because it's easy to think it's about one kind of cataclysmic moment at the end, isn't it? Like when I come to that crossroads and there's a hard decision to make, will I die in that moment? But you know what? Can it arguably be said that it's even harder to live for him day by day? And, and, and what Paul discovered is that Jesus is worth living for. Last night, I, I had a, a privilege to go to a, um, a banquet for someone who has become a dear friend of mine, someone who became a spiritual father to me over my last 13 years here at FOF. A man celebrating um, 50 years ordained in the ministry. It's like, dude, you've been doing it longer than I've been alive. His name is uh, Father Bob Sherry. And he was the, the, the founder of this amazing church up on the corner called Holy Apostles, the most evangelical priest I have ever met in my life. Breathing in to our Catholic brothers and sisters in a way that was rare in their circle. And celebrating 50 years, and they, they, they honored him last night and the impact that he made. And, and, and a refrain that came up again and again. And, and, and it, it, it got by me at first, but then it started to strike me. They talked about him as a man who laid down his life for Jesus and his people. He's a man who laid down his life. Now, it's easy to talk that way, isn't it? I mean, it feels like a good sentimental kind of morality. Like, you can get a Hallmark card that would say that. But what does that actually mean? And it started to strike us. He sacrificed marriage and a family of his own to pursue a call of Jesus and build into other people's families rather than one of his own. They, they, they had this picture collage, a slideshow, a video going, you know, showing him with, with, with the young and the old and the strong and the weak and people getting married and people near the end of life, people in the midst of life on motorcycles, on cars, on golf courses, in mass, in snapshots of families. And it struck us, and none of them were his own. Not one. 
And yet all of them were. It was a man who laid down his life. It struck us that this is the end of his bloodline. That's it. With him, this branch of the family tree named Sherry ends. When I look at Paul, I see a man who's discovered that Jesus is not just worth dying for, Jesus is worth living for. Laying down your life for, not just on one day, but every single day, because that is, in fact, what love is. And there's nothing more central to God and what Paul discovered about him than this thing called love. Love's easy to talk about as well, isn't it? It's good in a Hallmark card as well, and it makes us feel sentimental. But it's that kind of life that's love expressed. To say, Jesus, I love you. Take my life. May it be to your glory. And I'll praise be your name. And then it fills you with joy in the process. That's what Paul's life showed me. Here's something else. For Paul, grace is everything. Grace is everything and faith is everything. Because what Paul discovered is that without the grace of God... Without the blood of Jesus Christ and without the forgiveness and restoration in his name, life is nothing more than a, than a failed self-help project. It's like DIY gone bad. That everything is rooted in the grace of God. Everything is rooted in, in, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That without God, there is nothing in this world. No matter who you've studied under, no matter what privilege you've been given, no matter what kind of success that you've experienced, that all of us, all of us are lost. Without rooting ourselves in the center of God's kindness, of God's mercy. That all of us are dependent on his good nature and decision to act on our behalf, not on our own efforts to get ourselves right with him. But you know what I discovered about Paul too is that without faith, it's impotent. All the grace of God in the world will be completely ineffective in your life if it is not responded to by trusting in him. And Paul was a man who learned what it meant to trust God. Not just ideas swelling in his head, right answers. No, something more than that. Day by day, learning what it meant to be dependent on him. To seek hope in him rather than self to form his identity in God's view of what God said he was rather than that 
of everyone else. For Paul, grace and faith are everything. And you know what? Here's another. That God is faithful. Because faith without substance is meaningless, isn't it? And what I've learned from Paul is that God is faithful. That when God gives a promise, I don't care how far back, how archaic, how bizarre, he'll keep it. No matter what. Because that's the kind of God he is. What has God promised to you? What promises has he laid out? He'll keep them. He'll keep them. You can depend on him. So take him at his word. Dare to put your faith in him. And maybe just to wrap it up here today. I think what Paul shows us is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in control. Jesus is on the throne. The kingdom of God is breaking in. And there'll be hardship and war and persecution. But it doesn't change for one moment that Jesus is Lord. The Messiah has come. Yahweh reigns. And Paul came to root himself in him. I hope the 40 weeks that we've spent together have at some level been interesting. but I hope for something more. I hope that this man, Paul, his writings and his life have helped you to know Jesus more and by knowing him more to trust him more and by trusting him more to love him more. I hope it's led you to his gospel. I hope that what Polycarp wrote to those Philippians becomes true of your life as well. That you study his letters diligently. And that by doing, your faith may be built up in the one to whom Paul points us And that it may be manifest in faith and hope and love. Amen. Would you rise with me? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you reign. May we never lose sight. 
you reign. And that means everything. You are faithful. May we dare to believe it. Even when we're shaken, even when we're afraid, even when we doubt, may we dare to, to believe in you. May we root our identities in ourselves and your, your unfailing, un, unimaginable grace. Just God, pour it out. Pour it out on these folks. Dump it on them. God, may it be like drinking out of a fire hose. Just wash us. Wash us in your rebirth. Renew us in your Holy Spirit that you pour out generously. May our lives be marked as people willing to live and die for you. And may we always remember that whoever we are, whatever we've become, you are a God who delights in using messed up people like us. Hear our prayer. And hear us as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.